Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, event sommelier, your weekend wine guy. And uh, uh, what am I going to be? I'm going to be the general of Jewish food today. <laughs> I'm going to try to be the general um, because, as you know, I was uh, I was raised Catholic, so uh, which is really an offshoot of Judaism because uh, our Pope wears uh, the, the um, Hanukkah, and uh, we are very similar uh, about prophets and about the same Jesus and all that, or the same God. And uh, we have similar traditions and, and holidays, and uh, when we think about the holidays, of course, we're talking about food. Um, and food, this is the new New Year. If you're still on your New Year's resolutions, you're, you're going to eat better, be a better person, be nicer, be more humble, be more fit and active, and and hopefully uh, share some love. And many ways we uh, do share love is uh, through the mouth and through the stomach and uh, in cooking. And that is a way of hospitality. And I've certainly shared uh, many uh, lunches and dinners uh, as a server uh, in my career. And of course, many glasses of wine and cocktails as a mixologist and sommelier. And I'm super excited today because... Um, I have a, a fantastic author, and she's on the East Coast. Her name is Paula Scheuer, and she's written several books, but she focuses on um, the Jewish culinary, uh, the, the cuisine of the, of, the, of the Jewish population. We've got uh, a book here called The Healthy Jewish Kitchen, Fresh Contemporary Recipes for Every Occasion. And as you know, I, I want to learn more about the, the Jewish food because, I, again, I've never had the dinner, but you remember we had uh, the Royal Wine Company on talking about wines and, and menus for uh, Rosh Hashanah and Hanukkah. Um, but today, I'm super pleased to have Paula Scheuer on Happy Hour Radio. Hey, welcome, Paula. Hi, it's so great to be on the radio. I'm sorry that I'm not in the studio with you. I would have brought you some treats. I, well, I'm so super disappointed that you're not here as well because it's Saturday night. I'm always hungry, and we could have had some wine and uh, um, really enjoyed some of the fantastic dishes. Now, I, I see you've got this wonderful book. It's very colorful, and you also have um, you, you have a moniker. Your, your moniker is, is the Kosher Baker? Yes. My first two cookbooks were the kosher baker and the holiday kosher baker, and I trained as a pastry chef. And my true love is baking, but because I love dessert so much, I've had to eat lighter food in order to save room for dessert. <laughs> so, you know, when I started writing food books, I realized that my food was just so healthy, and it keeps getting even healthier. But, of course, the whole point of that is that, like, if you eat lighter food, then you can always justify the calories in dessert. So I basically see myself as like a healthy chef who really just has a passion for pastries as well. Well, that's uh, that's somewhat I like because that way we can justify it. We still want to hit that calorie mark at the end of the day and not go over it, and that's where the challenges are. Um, and, uh, it's hard. It's hard. There's a lot of good food out there, and I hear there's great food in Seattle. There's a lot of great food. We are blessed with a bounty of both agricultural products and, uh, of course, proteins and the sea next to, next to us. Uh, and I had the pleasure of, of doing something new, which I had never done. I went down to San Francisco a couple weeks ago for the Fancy Food Show. 
And, oh, uh, that's so great because I went to the one in New York last summer. Yeah, uh, so 1,800 vendors were there and every food product you could find in any grocery store and all these new exciting products that are actually kind of old. We're talking about uh, tofu and tabbouleh and soy and all these things. Um, and so it was really fun for me to, to see that uh, we're kind of getting back to nature in a way or healthy living and eating, uh, even though things are packaged and these are produced by some, some rather large companies, but they seem to be listening which is cool i think that people overall are eating better i think that so many of the healthy food trends start on the west coast and then make their way across the country and i've spent a lot of time in israel over the last years every kind of two years i go there and the emphasis on vegetables and that cuisine is finally moving to the united states israeli food cookbooks are really popular israeli restaurants as well where the vegetables are like front and center. They're not mixed up into things, into like quiches and souffles. They're just like beautiful roasted vegetables with wonderful other ingredients and dips and sauces with them. So that's kind of how I've always fed my family. I've got four kids who are all really good eaters and really good cooks, and they eat a huge <laughs> variety of vegetables and healthy food. But like, the, but at the same time, like my twins who are 18, like they will sit down at 9.30 at night with a bowl of ice cream, with syrup on top, and they will be really happy to eat that, too. <laughs> well, yes, uh, we all have our, our stages of, uh, of elevating our food uh, or our taste buds, uh, and it always starts with sugar, it seems. Um, uh, so let's talk about you. You're a pastry chef trained, but when was the first time you discovered that food was something you wanted to be passionate about? So, you know, I was always interested in baking since I spent time in my grandmother's kitchen in Brooklyn when I was a little girl. My mother didn't bake. But I had my easy buck oven. I always loved to bake. And as I got older, I liked to bake more and more. And I went to cooking school in Paris in 1995, really just for fun, to learn how to bake better. But I can't feed my family like chocolate cake for every meal. So obviously I cook food. But the way I am as a cook is very different than me as a pastry chef. I could spend all day in my kitchen measuring meticulously, being very precise, But when I cook at night, I pretty much open my refrigerator and I make dinner out of whatever is there. So I've been away for three days. I'll go home tomorrow and I'm going to open up my fridge and whatever is in there is going to become cleaning out the fridge soup (laughs) or a salad or a stew. So I do that all the time. So most of my recipes that I cook for my family all the time were in my head. So when I wrote the Passover cookbook in 2015, those recipes were all the recipes for my head that I put on paper. And so that was great for my family. They wanted the recipes. My kids are leaving the home now, leaving the house now. So they have them, but everybody has them. But then the healthy cookbook came to me because my publisher called me in uh, January of 2015 and basically called me like only weeks after my mother had passed away. And like all of us have done in our lives, you know, when you're sad, you eat bad food. And for me, it was like my two best friends, Ben and Jerry, keeping me company on the sofa (laughs) every night. And when my publisher said, do you want to write a healthy Jewish cookbook? I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. And I could use to, you know, some time to eat better. So I started developing these recipes, which are really all original recipes and also recipes that I took from my childhood and updated them. And honestly, as I started writing this book, I started to feel better. I started to feel more hopeful and just had more energy. So I really proved to myself that like eating really clean and eating well really, really helps you in so many ways in your life. It lifts your spirits and makes you lighter in every possible way. 
Well, that's fantastic. Um, sorry to hear about the passing of your mother, but uh, the life does go on, and we celebrate life in, in many ways with food and friends. And speaking with Polish, we also, we also use food to comfort people when they have losses as well. So it's it's such a big part of of how we interact with people in every stage of their lives. This is true. Even meetings. I mean, let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's go grab a beer. Let's have a drink. Let's have Absolutely. lunch. It's uh, yeah, we we love to eat. And uh, I'm curious. So um, I grew up. Uh, my dad was from Hong Kong. My mother's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I've got a whole bunch of genes in me. In fact, I think I'm point zero one percent Ashkenazi Jew. Uh, we did. My mom did the twenty three and me. So I've got a little bit oh, of that's that. So- that's great. That's my background as well, but not one, probably a bit more than that. Okay. Um, I'm curious. Me growing up with my Chinese grandparents cooking, there were some flavors there that I did not get or understand. Like raw ginger, I hated it because they used it so often I'd bite into it and just, it blew me away and just made me not feel very happy. Were there any foods uh, in, in Jewish cooking that you had to learn uh, to be accustomed to or to, to find appealing at some point? You know, honestly, I still can't get over gefilte fish from a jar. <laughs> I knew there was something wrong with it when I was a child. Like, it just didn't taste right to me. It seemed so far away from an actual fish. I had one relative who made homemade gefilte fish, but we didn't even go to her home all that often. And then I got older and started eating homemade gefilte fish and making it myself and eating it my really? friends. And now I have a different appreciation for it. But I still, when I see those little balls or the bigger, you know, little patties from the jar, I just roll my eyes and go, oh, my God, there's got to be something better than this. I mean, there's a lot of other Jewish foods that just aren't all that appealing. But there are other ones that we all love. They're just not so good for us. So I really tried hard to make them healthier. Interesting. Are, are there many fried Jewish foods? Yeah, like um, like Hanukkah was last month, and we... Um, we, potato fried potato lockers is basically what we eat every single Hanukkah, and they're absolutely delicious. But what I did for the Healthy Jewish Kitchen cookbook is that I came up with a way to bake them in the oven. I uh-huh. heat oil on sheet pans at a very high temperature, and I take my potato latke batter, and I drop crumbs of it, and then bake it in the oven. And I'm, honestly, my kids think it's fabulous. It's so good. That is so fun. Then, yeah, so it's fun to take something that we love, and instead of telling people, oh, you know, fried schnitzel and fried lockers are bad for you, you shouldn't eat them. I find a way to make to save these recipes by making them healthier and saying, okay, we're gonna, we, you can have your potato lockers, but they're going to be lighter. You can have your chocolate vodka and your strudel, but I'm going to give you a whole grain dough so that you get more fiber into your diet, and I'm going to add less sugar so you actually taste the dessert, and it doesn't just taste like sweetness. And basically, take recipes that make everybody feel good and are so comforting and instead of saying you can't have them anymore i healthy them up so that people can keep enjoying them well that's good because uh you know you always want to to be at the forefront of you want to live longer we all have this drive to live to survive and uh, by eating healthier of course we'll get there and i'm speaking with paula Scheuer, who is uh well a trained pastry chef out of uh well she's not french but she studied in france and she's the author of the healthy jewish kitchen fresh contemporary recipes for every occasion well let's talk quickly about where someone can find this book i bet there's a company here based in seattle that we can find it on called amazon yeah there is a great way to buy this book and the price is so great right now called amazon.com and you'll want to click away from ordering it and getting it if you're prime like literally by the next day or even and in a few hours a week in, uh, these days they got a, a drone oh, coming well, over right now Seattle, you probably can 
So, yeah, so Amazon, and if you get the book and you like it, go on Amazon and write a review of the book, because I love getting the reviews posted up there. And uh, independent bookstores have it as well, and we have to support them too. And um, I think it's a book, and the Washington Post recently did a feature on recipes from this book, and their introduction was, you know, tell everybody about this book, because this is not just for Jewish people. These are just really good recipes, natural ingredients, nothing processed you know, no jarred sauces and no puff pastry and things like that. Just like healthy, natural ingredients. So this is just good food for everyone. You can make your own matzo then, is that right? <laughs> I do not have a recipe to make your own matzo. Um, <laughs> the one thing I, I ask. To buy it from the box. So it's funny, this year I'm going to Israel for Passover, and in Israel they have all these Passover breads. And you don't even know it's Passover there, because, yeah, you see matzo, but they have so many amazing products there that you just wouldn't even know. And and I try really hard to fool people on Passover, too. So the recipe from the Healthy Jewish Kitchen that I want to be like the official dessert of Passover 2018 is a chocolate quinoa cake. Oh. It's a recipe that is gluten-free. I make it all year round. It's cooked quinoa that's pureed with cocoa and melted chocolate and eggs and some sugar and oil, and you put in a bun pan, and it tastes like a chocolate fudge cake, and it's completely gluten-free and appropriate for Passover. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I fell in love with quinoa years ago back uh, in the 90s when our, our chef told us about this ancient Aztec or Mayan grain. Um, but more right. recently, as my as I grow older, I, I realize that my body is becoming a little more finicky or particular about certain foods. And I fell in love with that, like the five-pound bag of quinoa at uh, another Seattle company called Costco. That is the oh, yeah. best stuff. It's got more protein. It, it's, it, it cooks really easily. You can add, it's, it's great because it's kind of a neutral grain, but you can add lots of flavor, whether it's stock. Oh, I've done so much with it. In my holiday kosher baker, I have a quinoa, um, almost like a like a rice pudding, but it's a quinoa mm. pudding with caramelized apples. Oh, yeah. For, for Rosh Hashanah with honey and cinnamon and apples on with quinoa. It's fabulous. Well, you need to do a national tour because you are making my mouth water. Oh, well, I was hoping to get out to Seattle this year because my son was going to move there, and he ended up at Nashville instead. He may still move to Seattle at some point, so I really hope to get out there in the next year. But if anybody's listening, I do cooking classes and demonstrations for so many different kinds of organizations all over the world. I'm pretty booked up now till Passover, but I'm already booking events into next year. And I would love to come to Seattle. How fun. Well, quickly, give us a website where they can find that. It's the... TheKosherBaker.com, and you can get information about my events and all of the, um, all of my four cookbooks. And they're all on Amazon, so you can find them all there. But I would love, you know, anybody interested, reach out to me, and we'll find a way. And then I'll come back to your studio, and I will feed you. Oh, I love it. We uh, So stick around, folks. We're going to have more of Paula Scheuer and the Healthy Jewish Kitchen right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, Seattle, welcome back. Time for round two, and I've got the lovely Paula Scheuer calling me live from New York City, and uh, she is the author uh, and acclaimed pastry chef and uh, culinary instructor, uh, kitchen, uh, culinarian wonderland. Uh, the Healthy Jewish <laughs> Kitchen is the book I've got before me, and we're chatting about uh, her, her strive to, to make 
uh, more healthy recipes for not only Jewish holidays, but also for everyday meals and things that you can share with your family. Obviously, uh, sharing love and compassion and friendship, uh, we do that with food and beer and, and coffee and things like that. Uh, look at your website, thekosherbaker.com. Um, you have some fantastic uh, resources there, but what, what caught me were, were some of these holidays that I'm unfamiliar with. Right now, we know about Hanukkah. We just had the Hanukkah. Uh, you've got eight candles. That's the, the oil lasted all that length, and you celebrate with some great food. But there's one coming up called uh, Tubi Shabbat. Is that right? How did yeah, I say? yeah. It's a holiday that celebrates like trees in Israel, and we eat a lot of dried fruits and various, you know, kind of fruits that that are very, you know, popular. These are like almonds, and we eat figs and dates and all kinds of recipes like that. And um, you know, and there are these seven species that were like always in Israel, which is like wheat and barley and figs and pomegranates and dates. And I always try to find recipes that combine a lot of them. One of my friends is doing a blog posting right now about my new book, and she wanted a recipe for this particular holiday. And I, and I, didn't, I didn't think of anything off the top of my head, and she found a, a recipe in the side dish section of Sri Lankan rice with fruits and nuts. And this recipe has tons of fruits and t- dried fruit and nuts in it. It's a yellow rice with herbs and all these other dried fruit ingredients, which is a really nice side dish to make with any kind of grilled meat or chicken, and really for any holiday. Like, I would serve this any time of year, and she's going to post the recipe for this rice for this holiday. Wow, and those ingredients are always readily available because uh, they are typically dried. I'm sure you can get fresh figs and, and fresh fit, uh, fresh fruits and stuff, but, of course, the nuts. Um, that's pretty neat. So th- why do they celebrate trees? It's the beginning of the fruit growing season. I so see. So that's been, it's, you know, so many holidays are harvest related. Oh, okay. I love this. This is so cool. Yeah. Um, the next the next holiday I see is Purim. Yeah, Purim is a great holiday. It's honestly one of my favorites because it's all about a cookie. And it's the, it has a great story associated with this. This year it takes place on February 1st. And the Jews are living in Persia, and this evil man convinced the king to kill all the Jews, but a Jewish woman disguised herself and became one of the king's multiple queens, and she convinced the king that this man was evil and the Jews were saved. And there's all these reasons why we eat these, like, three-cornered hamantashen cookies. And when I was growing up, they tasted terrible. They tasted like cardboard. And a lot of places, <laughs> honestly, bakeries still sell hamantashen all year round, and they taste like cardboard. And I vow to improve them. So in my Holiday Kosher Baker book, I have matcha green tea powder hamantashen, raspberry, gluten-free, chocolate hunk, all different colors. And um, there's different reasons why we eat this cookie. One is that the evil man had a hat that was in the same shape. And wow. it's, just, it's a really fun holiday because the, the, what we do on this holiday is we give out gift baskets to all of our friends and family with these cookies in it and sometimes little bottles of wine and fruit. And so on this holiday, I'll walk, open my front door and there'll be all kinds of bags and baskets of fruit and food sitting in front of my house. Oh, my. Isn't that great? Hey, man, it's you got me thinking. Ho- it's better than Halloween because you don't have to go anywhere. Like, you literally, it comes uh, too to funny. you. Too funny. And, uh, gosh, you're getting me thinking about conversion here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother radio show. That right? is a whole nother show. I'm sure I'll uh, have some counseling from my mother. Um, the, one of the, the uh, obviously, Passover is a huge holiday uh, for both, uh, for, for all of the Christianity religion there and um, uh yeah, and I want to mention that in the cookbook, in the Healthy Jewish Kitchen, every recipe tells you if it's gluten-free or for Passover, or if it's vegan, nut-free, etc. So I have a lot of Passover-friendly recipes in that book because when you're working with natural ingredients, you're, not, you're just not using a lot of flour 
and other ingredients that we don't use on Passover. Right. Um, and what I really like about your cookbook here is is you've, you've laid it out. You've got, of course, appetizers, then soups, then main dishes, and uh, uh, what else? I, I had it up here. Uh, oh, fish and vegetarian, things like that. But what really makes the cookbook to me is the photography. And especially when you're delving into something a little bit new or different than what you're used to, um, to see that the photos is reassuring that you can go down that path because it looks delicious. Yeah, I wanted the recipes to look good, but, you know, even more important to me was to make sure that they were, like, accessible and they weren't too complicated. I work really hard to put myself in the shoes of a person in the kitchen and think about how much time they would spend on this soup or the side dish because I have to be aware that whatever recipe of mine they're making is only one recipe for an entire meal. So I don't want them spending so much time on a side dish or the main course. They still have to make a soup and a dessert. So I try to be really mindful of how much work cooks really want to do. And I also give people lists of equipment in every recipe so you're not surprised. And how long the recipe takes to make. I don't like making a recipe and halfway through it says let rise for four hours. I wasn't planning on that. I want to know at the beginning of a recipe what's my commitment here. Uh, I like that. Well, I'm looking at the soup section because, of course, it is February and it's uh, cold and rainy out here in Seattle. Um, You have some fantastic soups that I would not think about finding a Jewish cookbook. Uh, Black bean soup, Moroccan lentil soup, um, of course, the modern borscht, uh, split pea with barley and pink beans, but Vietnamese chicken noodle soup. Now, how the heck did that get in there? Okay, so... I took my family, we went on a family trip to Vietnam and Cambodia a couple of years ago. And when we travel, you know, we eat mostly vegetarian and eat some fish. So we were eating like vegetarian Vietnamese noodle soup pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, the kids really enjoyed it. So when I came home, I was trying to come up with a broth. And typical like Asian broths have lots of fish and a lot of different steps. And I thought, well, wait a second. I have my classic chicken soup based on my mother's recipe that I updated a little bit. So I started off with my, my chicken soup. And when you make this, you can follow my chicken soup recipe, but if somebody out there has a better chicken soup recipe, they love, make that. But then I add miso to it and oh. soy and, and some more cilantro and ginger, and I turn it into an Asian-tasting broth. And then you can add anything. You're gluten-free, add rice noodles, add soba noodles, any kind of noodles you like. And I give you shredded chicken and broccoli and some chilies, but you could throw anything into that bowl. For my boys, it's like an entire meal. It sounds fantastic. It looks delicious. Um, and so now I'm on to main dishes here. Uh, sage and shallot roast turkey. Well, that sounds very, very, very familiar. Uh, yeah. Brisket but burger. A, but I have a whole wheat stuffing in it, so I use whole wheat bread to make stuffing. <laughs> you do. Uh, when I make stuffing, I use uh, a sweet parent bread, which has pear in it, and especially during the holidays, that's Ooh, when pears are... That's, what a great idea. Like, I'm going to have to put that in my next book. Oh, thank you. Um, feijoada. Now... Uh, the, the chef that introduced me to quinoa made feijoada 20 years ago, and I can't believe you have this Brazilian dish in here. How cool is that? Yeah, I almost think it's almost like I'm waiting for a Brazilian person who's not Jewish to look at this recipe and basically look at me and say, like, you have a lot of chutzpah to take this feijoada, the <laughs> national dish of Brazil, and turn it into some Jewish thing. But I did because I have a friend who's Brazilian. She lives in Texas. She's always buying me Brazilian cookbooks. I look at the feijoada recipe, and it's got five different parts of a pig in it. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work. But in black beans, but the pictures always look so delicious. So I thought, okay, what can I do here? The whole point of the dish is to have all these different textures of the 
you know, from the pig. So I have different cuts of meat and, and veal in it. So when you eat it, you have all these different textures. And it's like the easiest thing to prepare. I made it two weeks ago, and I was eating it for about four days straight. I never got sick of it. It is yummy and really great for a cold day. <laughs> That's good, uh, because I have a challenge with leftovers. Being a restaurant brat for so many years, I was always able to have, you know, something prepared right away. Um, but it's good to make something that actually tastes better the second and third day. I'm looking more. You've got fish tacos. You've got Korean mm-hmm. bim- and bimbap. And the fish tacos I serve with a mango coleslaw, one of my favorite recipes in the book, instead of mayonnaise for the coleslaw. I puree a mango with jalapeno, cilantro, lime, vinegar, oil, and that's my dressing for the coleslaw for the tacos. Yummy. Uh, and again, you, it sounds like you are tantalizing all the areas of our taste buds, the sweet, the sour, the salty, the savory, yes. and the umami. Um, one more. Let's talk about this uh, Shavuot. How do you say that Shavuot. one? Shavuot. Shavuot. Ah, okay. So Shavuot is this holiday where it was celebrates when the Jews received the, the Torah, you know, our... Oh, yeah. All of our, you know, with all of our laws at Mount Sinai. And before the kosher laws were transmitted to Moses from God, this is the story, the, the Israelites only ate dairy. So on this holiday, we only eat dairy dishes. And this is when I take out all my French pastry school recipes, and it's butter, 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 cheesecake, shortbread. Oh, do I have a good time on this holiday. <laughs> Ice cream. That ben, and Ben and Jerry show up, too, I imagine. Pretty yeah, cool. but I'd rather eat my, you know what, on that holiday, I'd rather eat cheesecake, and yes. I'd rather eat my cheese blintzes. I took my grandmother's cheese blintz recipe and used buckwheat crepes for the outside part, so they're now gluten-free, and I use her filling, and they're really good. Well, and it's great that we're talking about some dessert. Uh, I see blueberry honey cake scones, uh, your hamachishin, and then the Israeli chocolate rugula, which is one of my favorite. Oh, those are great. I just spoke at the 92nd Street Y in New York City Monday night, and I brought those to taste, and they're really good. It's a more than 50% whole wheat dough, and it is really good quality chocolate in the filling, and it's a yeast dough, so they're spongy, and I just love those cookies. I wish it's, I wish it was like I could make them faster. It just takes time to roll out the dough and roll up all the triangles, but they're so worth the effort. I just love those. That's, that's a great recipe. All One good things favorites. are worth and the it wait. it freezes really well. So you can make them and freeze them and just take them out when you need them. I love it. Wow, this has been a fantastic conversation. You've got me hungry. I'm usually thirsty on Happy Hour Radio. Paula Scheuer, the author of The Healthy Jewish Kitchen, also known as The Kosher Bakery, thekosherbaker.com. Thanks so much for spending time with me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. And you can find me also on Instagram as Kosher Baker and on Facebook as well. Awesome. Lahayam. He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KBI. KBI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, folks. Hey, welcome back. Uh, happy Saturday night. Uh, time for round three. And uh, I'm super excited to welcome back uh, Keith Johnson of Tacopa Brands, uh, formerly known as Keith Peterson, if you get that, it's an inside joke. Uh, Keith Johnson is here. We were chatting about um, Bonaval Cava, and Cava is a bubbles from Spain, uh, from uh, seven different regions, primarily uh, primarily um, above the uh, Barcelona area in Catalonia, uh, called Penedes. 
But this particular uh, property, uh, Bonneval, is actually produced about a thousand kilometers away, towards uh, on the west, towards Portugal. So uh, Keith Johnson, formerly known as the artist, <laughs> welcome back to Happy Hour. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. And uh, I ended up bringing a bottle of the of the rosé this time. Fantastic. Since I didn't have it last oh, good. Time. So we'll we'll do some pink bubbles. Today. Great. Let's do All that. Right, let's do that. And I'll and I'll make the dreaded noise. Oh. How about that? So this Too is funny. This is from the Bonaval Cava facility in Extremadura in a little town called Almendralejo in western Spain, just about 40 miles from the Portuguese border. We tasted the yellows last week, um, the Brut and the Brut Nature. This is the one pink that they make. Cool thing about pink cava, I think, pink bubbles right now, is that both categories are very popular in the U.S., and not just for particular seasons or not just for particular holidays. Um, everybody's drinking rosés now. It's it's established itself as a, as a category even in the middle of the winter, you know? Great restaurants have got rosés by the glass in January available. I, saw, I have a great restaurant in West Seattle that pairs our Coral Wines rosé with their fried chicken. And Sad. it's a case a week. It's I like... love seeing that rosé is not just for poolside anymore, you uh, know? Although poolside sounds pretty good right now in this uh, February. What'd that darn groundhog say? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm looking at this pink, and obviously this is a very, very um, pale uh, patina. It's a very, very light, um, and there's course a whole host of gem colors and red colors and pink colors. But this seems to be very, very uh, lean, almost translucent in its pinkness. It is, and I will tell you that that is a relatively recent development on the part of the winery, is to get this off the skins a little bit sooner than they traditionally did years ago. Um, knowing that the rosés of Provence, France, mm -hmm. provide this image of pale being elegant and dry and wonderful. There are a lot of other pink-making wineries around the world who have started to kind of trim down the color content of their rosés. It seemed like darkness, the darker the, the rosé, the sweeter it seemed to be. We'll take cold duck as the, the most extreme example, but... Good point. Whether that's true or not, if that's the consumer perception when they see it in clear glass, which right. is what these are always in, so that you can see the pretty color um they didn't want to give the perception of sweetness with it or and the kool-aid color scheme the palette right yeah something much worse although it'd be fun to see rosés especially all these beautiful bubbles to be named like they do nail polish hmm. <laughs> desert, i'd like to see a desert color wheel sunset, on all the fire <laughs> sagebrush something um but what makes this pink obviously the color the anthocyanins coming from a particular grape but which grape is it this grape is garnacha or grenache uh and this wine is 100% garnacha no way uh, the the cava rosés are allowed to be made from just one small portfolio of reds which is monastrell very popular in in spain as is garnacha the two primary grapes from especially the the eastern region of the country sure Tempranillo more from the north, right. you know, but there is yeah. no Tempranillo in Cava Rosés. Um, Garnacha, Monastrel, Cabernet Sauvignon is allowed, Pinot Noir is allowed, and a little one called Trapat, yeah, which Trapat. is you know more signature I've actually had that wine, and I'm trying to remember when, but uh, this wine is blowing me away. Yeah. It did me last night as well. I, I can't I, believe how delicious this, this is. This is really special stuff. Really delicious. Yeah. It's... Um, it, just a very, very hint, a faint uh, detection of sweetness, but that sweetness is more fruit-driven mm -hmm. than actual just sweet. And then you get just a touch of the tannin to dry that out. This is a beautiful, elegant bottle of wine, yeah. and it's only... 
ten dollars. Ten dollars. Yeah. Bonneval Brut Rosé. Yeah, it's Bonneval Brut Rosé, and it's stated as such on the label in a pretty clear glass. And wow, it's um, yeah. I think this will be the one that probably we'll look at in another six months and say, why didn't we do that two years earlier? You know, we're just bringing it in. This no is doubt. the first that it's been here. So, Heck, uh, had I known this yeah. wine was so tasty the way it is, I would have said, let's this, this taste that for that uh, young chef competition. Next time. But we are, I'm going to be all over this one. I'm going to help spread the word. Um, this is my new favorite bubbles. Look, if you, hey folks, if you're drinking Prosecco out there, Prosecco is fun. I think it's any time you're drinking bubbles is a good occasion. But if you really want to have a more delicious, uh, elegant, or ethereal experience, a wine experience, try Cava, because mm-hmm. you're going to have a little more nuance in there, in which you'll be able to appreciate, especially um, at the price points. It's, it's close to 10 bucks, yes. uh, and um, there's a lot. I mean, they age just, just nine months. I mean, it's not tasting like it's super complex with any least artalysis, but... Right, right. No, it, this winery is moving enough wine throughout Spain itself and into Scandinavia and now to us uh, that they are turning this over right at about nine months. They're not leaving it on the lees any longer yeah. than that, which is the which is the cava regulation as a minimum amount of sure. time on these. Uh, and then there's vintage cava, which is a little different. Obviously. You have to get the 15, 15 months, months for the reserves. Which is and... what happens for non-vintage champagne. So mm-hmm. there is some uh, mm-hmm. correlation there or uh, congruency or something like that. I'm trying to find a word. Right. Um, absolutely delicious. Bone of all from Decopa Brands, my pal Keith Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> So fun. All right. So um, you're actually heading up to Europe to go do a tour in Portugal and some Spain and some France. And you brought a special wine here that I've never had. And it's such a beautiful package. Let's talk about this next wine. Sure. Thanks. Um, yeah. During my uh, during my annual treasure hunts to some of these festivals and, and, and smaller gatherings in Portugal, in France, in Spain, um, I try to find these treasures. I try to find these things that can be 10 bucks, um, where distributors can have something new and different and fun and unusual and unique and and not have it be a crazy price. Um, Keith I, Johnson, treasure hunter. Yeah, well, yeah. And I hate to say the 10 buck guy, but, you know, it could be worse, right? So this one is called La Tannerie. And in my time in south of France last year, and I'm going back again in another two weeks as part of my Europe swing, um, I think this was probably the best value that I tasted while I was there. It's 50% Cabernet Franc and 50% Merlot. It's just a sumptuous, yummy thing from a tiny little winery outside of the walled Cité de Carcassonne. The Carcassonne. Carcassonne. Right. Which is, you know, kind of near Narbonne, uh, southwest, a little north of this. Yeah, it's in the sudwest, which I think is doing some of the most spectacular things anywhere in the world right now as far as cool wines at great values. And it's a very young crowd that's doing this in the Southwest now, By as a matter of fact. Yeah, there's a lot of millennial people and, and just barely older than millennials that are doing their marketing and their label design. And you their, think they're like texting each other's secrets? They, you know, Instagramming they text them. a lot. <laughs> they text me all the time. That's funny. <laughs> they're kind of shocked that well, a 60-year-old so, guy texts At least back. you're getting someone's texts. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so um, uh, the area of Carcassonne, uh, that was uh, kind of a war-torn area for, for me. I mean, they have a fortress, right? It, I mean, was, it was, exactly. So the, the Carcassonne city itself is a walled city still and a remarkable place. You can't drive in the middle of it. You have to leave your car outside in a parking lot. We stayed for three or four days when we were there. Um, and they come and get you in a little golf cart thing that can just barely sneak through the, the doors in this giant stone wall, and you can't even believe that you're Making it, but these guys drive you into the city. There are a few hotels in the city, lots of little shops, and um, 
You know, great restaurants, too, of course. Well, let's try this wine. Let's I'm dying. This is the Cheval Blanc of Carcassonne. Well, I'd like to say so. <laughs> if I could have that title, I'd be a pleased guy. And uh, La Tannery, uh, which sounds like... Um, it was an old leather tannery, and they converted this building into a winery. It was just an old uh, leather facility, leather tanning facility. You know, it was a rural region. Um and and a lot of war-torn kind of leftover buildings, as you mentioned. So they did what they could. Don't know if you're a Cabernet Franc fan. Most people are learning to become one. We're doing a lot of nice Cabernet Francs in Washington. We are. I was uh, just at a tasting, and we were talking about how Cabernet Franc has evolved from the uh, the red berry juice here in Washington to mm -hmm. actually have some of the pyrazines, the bell pepper, right. and those those uh, varietal characteristics or variety characteristics that make it true uh, to form. Now, this is, first of all, this is a deliciously mouth uh, fun feeling. It, it's it's tender. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's fleshy. There's some smooth. It's slight polish. Very, very faint. I don't even want to say rusticity. There's nothing. I I think it's older vines is what I'm getting in some of these this flavor. Probably, and that very well could be actually the Merlot too. Mm. You know, that's doing some of the older vine Merlot that they grow around there. Yeah, uh, pretty cool. And go figure that uh, Cabernet Franc and uh, Merlot. It's really a match made in right bank heaven. True story. That's pretty uh, neat. I agree entirely. La Tannery, um, and this is that. That's the name of the winery? That is actually the name of the winery, and okay. the only thing that they make is this one red blend of Cabernet Franc and Merlot. I'm surprised the labels are so clean. You'd think there'd be a little splash of... <laughs> well, the, the federal government was a little bit aggravated with me because I wanted to leave the front label to be nothing but the French clean. It looks like some sort of French prescription on there. There's not an English word on the front label. So we translated it on the back and put all the mandatories. I love it. Well, we'll have a prescription for some more fun coming right here on 570 KVI. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 8 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Uh, we're rocking it out on this Saturday night. Thanks for joining us for our fourth and final segment. I've got Keith Johnson. That's me. <laughs> Founder of Tacoma Brands and his alias, Keith Peterson, is off in the sunset. Um, so we were chatting about, first of all, that beautiful Bonneval Rosé. Available QFCs. is under 10 bucks. It's 100% Garnacha. It's absolutely fabulous. Uh, I'm totally sold and smitten. Uh, this next one called the Tannery is comes from the region of Carcassonne in France. It's in the Sudwest, the Southwest. 50% Merlot, 50% uh, Cabernet Franc. Um, how did you find this wine? I get the Spanish thing, the cava. But how did you end up here and find this wine, Keith? Yeah, that, I, you know, this is the greatest joy of, of what I do for a living. And as an importer who is just a one-man show and nimble enough to kind of 
look for whatever I want to look for and be whoever I want to be when I go. Uh, there are some really nice shows that take place in the south of France as this young crowd tries to continue to promote the industry down there. One of them is called Vinisoud oh, annually right. in Montpellier. And there is a spin. They also do the Millisembio, which is the organics only from that same region, which is a pretty remarkable show to go to. Last year that was held in Marseille. Uh, went there for one day you know, by train while I was at Vinisoud. But there's an even more interesting one. It's kind of speed dating for wine importers. It's a remarkable thing. Um, it, the French government sets up this program where they bring importers over, limited number of importers from countries all around the world. You identify after a full day of tasting, up to 400 wines if you care to, who you might like to meet with. Plug it in on a pad that they give you on an iPad. Leave it with them. You get the next day off to go travel around and relax while they set up these meetings. Then the wineries, and they're usually these smaller offbeat guys that otherwise couldn't really afford to attend a larger festival come to meet you in 45-minute slots. And they pay 200 euros to do it. I mean, they're, they're putting a little money out of their pocket to spend 45 minutes with you. It's quite a compliment, actually, when you see your list of people that want to see you. They sit at your table. You speed date over their wine for... 45 minutes, you have a 10-minute break, and the next one comes and sits down. And sometimes there are just these crazy treasures that are brought your way. And sometimes they've got things that actually aren't even on the regular menu that they tell you about. <laughs> this, one, this one was one that was actually brought to me, just as is. It's the one winery from, the one wine from this winery. So uh, It's a delicious wine. I'm still enjoying it. I, I'm really surprised how, how well-made it is. And what's the price point here for uh, La Tannery from Cité de Carcassonne? Yeah, this one retails for $10. Oh. Oh. oh, my goodness. Now, we're not in Seattle yet, but we're coming in about six weeks. We're up north in Did Whatcom you pay already? County. Because I see that euro is gaining some traction. It has been just horrible. That's one thing about being a one-man importer. And you pay in euros, and we've gone from 105 a year ago to 125 this morning. I mean, it's a, it's a big change. But I hold the prices firm. Um, it's up in Whatcom County right now. It's at Compass Wines in Anacortes, that kind of famous great wine shop in Anacortes. Charles, man. Right before people head out on their boats to the islands. Yeah. Uh, it's in a number of great accounts up around Bellingham. And uh, we'll be here in Seattle in another five or six weeks. This, this is very charming little wine. Uh, it, it's not to be just dismissed as something charming, but it's really, it's got a story to tell. There's, yes. there's, it's, it's still speaking to me in this glass. And it's a great sipper, but you, you kind of want to drink more. And when you said speed dating, I'm thinking for some... Just reminded me of those old Asian, you know, the stereotypes where the Asians are drinking. Hi, you're bowing and you're slamming. Drink, drink. <laughs> is it speed chugging? That's what right, it is. Let's right. say you'll make some deals after that. Um, pretty neat. So if we want to find all these and learn more about uh, the wines in your portfolio, it's uh, Dacopa, right? D-A-Q-O-P-A. That is correct. Now, this particular wine I do bring in under a second company that we own, a second importer that we own, uh, that my wife and I founded together about two years ago, and it's Eleven's Imports. So the word 11, z, plural, like the number, imports.com. And there's some good information about where to find us and, and what we're about and what we've been doing for the last couple of years with these special little super eclectic projects, which is what we use 11s to bring in. You said that's 11. 11s. 11s. Imports. All right. Well, check it out. 11s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my best. Uh, whatever that show. I can't think. <laughs> right show. Um, so so fun. Well, Keith Johnson, and uh, uh, thanks for, for coming back on the show. It's great to have you, especially two weeks in a row. I know you're up in Whatcom County, so it's great to have you down for the whole week to spend so much time. And really, 
to find the values. Anybody can buy the Lafitte Raw Shield off the wine list. And that doesn't take any brains. This takes, you know, a credit card. But to find these little gems, it takes work, and you travel, yeah. and you have passion. And I, you know, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of margin on the ten dollars. So it's True a story. labor of love, Thank and um, it's a. It's certainly. We are well rewarded for your your toils and your passion. So thank you for that. Um, Decopa Brands is it DecopaBrands.com? Decopa, yeah, it's Decopa.com. No brands. Decopa. Just Decopa.com. Perfect. That's easy. And Elevens Imports.com. Elevens, got it. And one will take you to the other if you look for the right button. All right. So so fun. Well, uh, let's do this again when you get back from your trips. I Sounds great. That uh, we'll we'll have some more things to chat about. Keith Johnson with Tacopa.com. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me, and happy hour radio. Thanks a lot, Chris. Oh, uh, that Bonneville Rosé, folks. Check it out. And the Tanier, the Latanier is coming up here in uh, when he gets back. Anyway, folks, hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we have a re- uh, website, happyhourradio.net, and life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers! Cheers!